Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Well, good morning from California. I'm Michael Benner, and this is The Wisdom of the Soul. This is class number 31, and I appreciate you being here with us live. Uh, You may be listening to a podcast. We're on all players and podcast apps, an edited version of this live class. We uh, we just take out the meditation and the Q&A, so join us live if you uh, would like to enjoy that part of it, particularly the, the opening med, which we're about to do. We're also on YouTube. The whole video is posted on YouTube. Both can be searched as the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. That's the name of the podcast and the YouTube channel, Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. I'm not real good at self-promotion, I guess. Um It occurred to me this morning that I've done 30 of these (laughs) and I've never mentioned my private intensives and I'm not going to go on about it at length other than that I still do that. I have a handful of private clients, some of whom I see on a weekly basis, some every other week or even once a month. Um, Some people just schedule a single session and the first one is uh, free of charge an intake session to see if uh, I might be able to help you with your anxiety issue, uh, couples counseling. Most of the work we do is around some sort of stress and anxiety and and how to manage the effects of that, whether it's uh, uh, OCD, some obsession, obsessive thinking or compulsive behavior, uh, panic attacks, or just a feeling of anxiety and and nervousness and trepidation, and uh, you want to learn to manage that. But also uh, relationship management, communication skills. A lot of people are looking for that. What's a better way to argue, or have a discussion that is not argumentative? Um, so again, the intake is free. You can schedule it at michaelbenner.com or at the podcast site, which is theagelesswisdom.com. And the T-H-E is part of it. Theagelesswisdom.com is the podcast site. Michaelbenner.com takes you to all of my sites, including the private counseling. And Go in there and poke around. And there's also a link to the Zoom class in here if you want to introduce a friend or an associate to this class. You can do that there as well, michaelbenner.com. Okay, enough of the commercials. Thank you for being here. Today we're going to talk about uh, letting go of our resistance to change. And the letting go or releasing resistance to change is a lot like change itself in so many areas where People will commonly say things to me like, uh, Michael, how do, here's a common one. How do I overcome my fear? Uh, how do I conquer or defeat this bad habit or this pattern, this tendency? And we always think in terms of conquering or defeating or overcoming. And when it comes to fear, anxiety, and stress, all that does is add more stress. So it's counterintuitive, it's backward thinking. How do I conquer my attempts to conquer life? (laughs) How do I overcome my patterns of attempting to overcome what I would be better off accepting? And so 
The answer is you don't overcome your fear. You don't conquer anything. You let it go. And that's just huge. So how do I release my resistance to change? How do I let go of my holding on? Does that make sense? Because that's what your resistance to change is. Um, the catch-22 in all of this is that while human beings in general do not like change and are naturally resistant to it, it's uh, stressful not to change. To resist change uh, causes stress as well as um, attempting to uh, fight it. And so what I'm trying to say is there's going to be stress regardless of how you respond to the inevitability of change in our lives. If you do nothing, life's going to change. And, um, and in any event, whatever your response, there's going to be some stress you have to deal with. So what I'm saying is rather than struggle with the change, you have to learn to go with the flow. And the, the issue is similar to emotions themselves. We say, perhaps, how do I uh, manage my anger? How do I deal with uh, this uh, set of negative feelings? Here, here we're talking about fear again. Uh, every feeling that hurts, anger, hatred, jealousy, envy, uh, gosh, even apathy, oddly, um, has some fear and anxiety and stress in it. If it hurts... If it's uncomfortable, if uh, if it uh, irritates you, there's some sort of stress or anxiety there. And uh, how do I overcome that? You don't. You you let it go, and uh, recognize that the feeling itself is not the issue. Don't you see? Um, any more than you would ask a mechanic to uh, fix the red light on your dashboard, you would expect him or her instead to go under the hood. And so it is with our hurtful feelings. We uh, need to recognize them as valuable symptoms. Yeah, they hurt, you know, so-called negative feeling. They hurt. They make us uncomfortable. They irritate us and frustrate us and sometimes even humiliate us. But they're just symptoms. You need to dig deeper, go further. And then if you... Uh, as, as you find the problem, as you locate the problem and then understand it, then the whole system resets. The fear is gone. The heartache is, is healed. Face it and embrace it is what we're talking about, and that goes with, with our topic of the day, change. Nothing is more inevitable than change. <laughs> it's, the, it's the one thing you can count on. And I want to do our opening med, and then we'll talk about why that's so, and uh, a couple of references in mystical literature to change that we've only touched on briefly in the past. Uh, the ring pass knot is a fascinating allegory, and also the concept known as the dweller on the threshold. And we'll even talk about a concept called punctuated evolution. And uh, take a look at the patterns of change, because it's not smooth and linear. And changes uh, can be gradual or it can be very, very fast, but it's not a nice smooth curve. So we'll talk about that also. Dwell around the threshold and the uh, ring pass knot. That's our concept for, that's our topic for the day today. So let's do an opening meditation. Let's get comfortable in your chairs or on your furniture. If you're sitting cross-legged, that's fine. If you're in a chair or a sofa or something, put your feet flat on the floor. Sit up straight with your shoulders back. Eyes open, wide awake. Open your eyes now, wide awake, alert, back in the room, and take a nice big deep breath and maybe a stretch like you're waking up. Shrug your shoulders, move a little bit, get back into the body. Welcome back. Welcome home. Nice to be here. Nice to be anywhere, right? <laughs>
So as I was saying before the meditation, uh, the inevitability of change in many mystical traditions, this is simply called the law of impermanence. That all physical objects, all material objects are in the state of decay. Um, molecules decay. Uh, skyscrapers <laughs> decay. Big or little. Food spoils and rots, but uh, titanium and steel and iron will rust and corrode and fade. Not only are material objects in a state of permanent decay and change, but uh, so too are thoughts and feelings. Feelings last generally a little longer than thoughts, but thoughts move on. It's a thought stream, a stream of thoughts, a train of thoughts, one car after another. To watch yourself thinking and to be the watcher, such a wonderful sense of liberation in that. We deceive ourselves when we believe we are the thinker. And you can always review the classes from a few weeks ago where we talked about the different kinds of thought, task-related thought, task-unrelated thought, uh, so-called uh, intrusive thinking, and our tendency to believe that's us. You know, when you're not, when, when your thinking is not uh, oriented toward any particular task and your mind is just ram r randomly generating ideation, we assume that's us thinking. Uh, <laughs> and are confounded by the fact that many of those tasks unrelated or intrusive thoughts are contradictory that uh, or we're aware of that, but it, we, we often don't take it deeper. Like, if that's me thinking, why would I have contradictory thoughts? Why do I argue with myself? Uh, could it be that these are various streams of influence and that the idea that there's a, a chairman of the board or some sort of uh, CEO in our brain uh, may be an illusion. In fact, increasingly, uh, empirical research is indicating that's the case. The illusion of the physical self, of the ego self, which the ego loves. So, of course, it's always going to promote that illusion. But it leads to a feeling of being the separate self, because we live in an object of separated form. So, why wouldn't this self be separated and then we're off on a search for love to reconnect when, in fact, the eternal and omnipresent nature of love means we never were separated. It's all an illusion. You're not separate, and uh, you're, you're not that separated self. Is there a sense of self? somewhere between unity and diversity, uh, a harmonious sense of individuation that is well-balanced and well-integrated, standing between the one life, the all that is, divinity, monism, panpsychism, it's panentheism, it's got a lot of names that we've begun to explore and this illusion of living in a world of separated form, a world of names and forms. It's not just forms. We have names for things that are not forms, don't we? Can you think of a name for a thing that is not a thing? Can you? How about sky? Everybody knows what the sky is. Where is the sky? 
point to the sky. It's right there. Well, it's my ceiling. Above that's the roof. But above my ceiling and the roof is the sky. In fact, today it's really, really blue. Really? Well, how high do you have to go to touch the sky? Oh, well, you, you can't touch the sky. How far do you have to go to be in outer space? Is outer space somewhere else? Most people presume it is. Until you see those pictures of Earth from the moon or pictures of Earth from Voyager or somewhere else. And, oh my God, Earth is in outer space. We're in outer space now. I, I didn't know that. I thought outer space was somewhere else. I thought the sky was somewhere else. The sky doesn't even exist. There is no sky. It's just the name. Oh, the atmosphere? Is that what you meant? Or the appearance of blueness in the daytime and blackness at night? And don't you love the transitions in the morning and the evening? What the sky does. My sky doesn't look like your sky. Not if you have any clouds in it. My sunset, I bet, looked very different than your sunset last night. In fact, it all depends on your mood. Have you ever been in a really bad mood and driven through a beautiful area? Or how about this? How about you're sick? God forbid you should be sick. May you be well. But every once in a while, we get sick. We get the flu or something. Just maybe a bad head cold. You feel horrible. And you're driving through some beautiful place. It doesn't seem very beautiful, does it? <laughs> it's like, is it possible your entire reality could be colored by your perception of it, of course. But let's let's talk about the fact that the sky is changing. And uh, everything is moving. The planets are... I, I just found this uh, face on my Apple Watch where it shows the planets. Imagine having on my watch a... 3D display of the planets and their orientation. and But the planets go around the sun. The solar system goes around the galaxy. Everything spins. Everything is in constant flux. Get used to it. And if we do nothing about change, it'll stress us. And if we attempt to resist change, our stress is compounded. And even if we go with the change and try to go with the flow, as I said earlier, there still are unexpected issues that occur with change. But since change is inevitable and unavoidable, and we see the law of impermanence in Eastern philosophy and the world in flux in Western philosophy, wasn't it uh, Heraclitus that said no man, no person steps in the same river twice? For it is not the same river, and they are not the same person. That's quite profound. It's quite liberating. It's quite wonderful. I can see where someone might find that stressful, scary, and intimidating, but there is something that remains while everything changes around us. Do you have any idea what that is? While everything around you is changing, as I've just described, is there anything that doesn't change? Is there one thing at least that remains permanent and unchanging? It's awareness. It's consciousness. It's often called love, but then easily conflated with the emotional connotations of love. And we see love as an emotion having a very clear ebb and flow. Love as an emotion rises and falls, doesn't it? You'd be really in love with somebody, and a month later they upset you. 
They disappoint you, they insult you, and now you're not feeling so loving toward them. <laughs> so the emotion that we refer to as love or joy or happiness, uh, that's in constant flux like all other feelings and all other things and all thoughts. But uh, as consciousness, capital C consciousness, as awareness, capital A awareness, it's always there. I would have you consider this, and I'd like you to toy with this concept this week until our, our class next week. I want you to imagine what it would be like to sit in a dark room with your eyes closed. You're sitting in a dark room. There's not any light at all, and your eyes are closed. And then you open those eyes, and nothing changes. Everything is still black. There's not a bit of light. So perhaps there are things here that could be seen if there were some light reflected off them but you're not aware of them because there's no light. And yet your eyes are open. They're capable of receiving light. And so it is with consciousness and awareness. It's always there. It's the one permanent, eternal, and infinite thing. <laughs> I hate that word. <laughs> That's such an inadequate word. Concept, awareness itself. Uh, there's a lot of work in quantum physics around this because it's the, it's, again, forgive me, I have to use the word thing. It's the one thing you cannot get behind. In, in daisies chaining your way back from, well, cause and effect, cause and effect. This effect had to have a cause. And now that I look at that cause, well, maybe that was an effect of a previous cause. So let's look at that cause. Oh, and then I see that's an effect of another cause. And I daisy chain my way all the way back, and then you get to my awareness of it. And you can't get behind that. It existed because I'm aware of it. If I was not aware of it, it would not exist. You could argue that something exists that you're not aware of. But what would be the point? It takes some level of awareness, right? Awareness on some level. Like, I'm aware that it exists, although none of my physical senses are cluing me into it because it is at a distance. I'm aware that the Great Wall of China exists. I saw a photo on a couple of occasions, several pictures of the Great Wall of China Pretty sure it's there. All these people wouldn't lie to me. Yeah, I'm aware of it on that level, but you've never seen it. So you have an awareness that it exists. There's a capital A awareness, a capital C consciousness, which is the ground of being. It's divinity itself. It's the absolute. It's the ultimate. It's the Godhead. Awareness, consciousness is the Godhead. In philosophy, it's simply called the absolute, which makes everything else relative, right? Makes everything else subjective. Now, the funny thing about the change that's happening against this background of uh, awareness, this common ground of being that is pure awareness. These changes, again, are not linear like a smooth line. Uh, they're not a curve like a parabolic curve. Change tends to be, and there's many exceptions to this, but nevertheless, in a general sense, change is herky-jerky. It's a stair-step function called punctuated evolution. We see this in evolution. It's called punctuated evolution. But we see this stair-step function in many forms of change. 
where things would go along relatively unchanged. And I say relatively. It may be a very gradual one-degree slope, right? Just uh, the slightest change you don't even notice. And then there's a leap, and everything changes. Or lots of things change to a great degree. (laughs) And then they go along relatively unchanged for quite a period of time until there's another quantum leap. So you get this stair-step function, don't you see? That's worthy of pondering. Punctuated evolution, that's called. Well, we see this in mystical literature referred to in a couple of different ways. I want to introduce you to these ideas because they are provocative and, and, and fun, really, to observe. One is called the dweller on the threshold, and the other is the ring pass knot. Uh, I guess I can do them in either order. If you go deep enough into the literature, there are differences and distinctions in the way these allegories are applied. But for our purposes today, just dealing with the inevitability of change and our natural resistance to it, uh, the difficulty we have going with the flow. Let's start with ring pass knot. The best way to think of ring pass knot is when you drop a pebble into a pool of water, you'll see a ring that radiates out. And because everything that radiates has a peak and a trough, an ebb and a flow, you'll see these little ripples, one consecutive ripples, one after another, these circles, concentric circles radiating out from the point of impact. Those are the rings we're talking about when we describe the ring pass knot. And I'd like to use as uh, a further example of this a, a bird's egg, or it could be a reptile egg. It doesn't much matter. You know what an egg looks like. Let's think of a bird's egg in a nest. That's the first ring pass knot for that baby bird. And there's no reason that the baby bird inside that egg should come out. It's uh, warm, it's safe, it's the only thing that it's ever known. Think of times in your life where that's all you wanted, was something warm, safe, and familiar. Why would the bird ever come out of there? Well, because there's a little sack of, of food and oxygen in that egg, which eventually runs out. And so as the bird depletes its food and its oxygen, it's getting hungry and it's running out of uh, air. And so it begins to thrash about and uh, pecking at the egg, eventually cracks the egg and comes out only so that it can breathe. And then complaining about its situation, it gets a little grub or a worm or mom comes along and feeds it. But now the second ring pass knot is the bird nest, right? Not very big, although some are. We have an eagle cam that we watch in Big Bear, California, right across the valley from us. And we watched a a baby eagle born this past spring. Boy, it was remarkable watching, (laughs) watching how fast this baby eagle grew. But the point is, the reason I bring it up is the nest must have been six or eight feet across. It's huge. And uh, yet the bird is confined to the nest. It, it can't get out, right? And we would watch this 24-7 webcam that's trained on this nest and, and see this bird every day growing, getting bigger at such a remarkable rate, and then trying to fly, you know, flapping its wings and building strength in the wings. And then it got to a point where it would sort of raise itself up four inches or so and then exhausted, collapse back into the nest. But there came a day when that bird went out on the front porch, (laughs) this big tree limb, and uh, stood out there for about 10 minutes, flapping its wings and then resting and 
flapping its wings and resting and then suddenly taking off. And the people up in Big Bear that sponsored that camera have a second camera that's a long shot. So they cut to that camera and you can see the bird flying madly. It's funny to see an eagle flying like a duck. I mean, just madly flapping. <laughs> it had never flown before. Madly flapping its wings just long enough to get to another tree a few yards away and then collapsing, exhausted onto a tree branch. But now it went beyond the nest, the second ring pass knot, but it can't fly very far, so maybe if it can only fly 50 feet and you use that radius to prescribe a circle, a 50-foot circle, and then a week later it's a 200-foot circle, the ring pass knot gets larger and larger as the animal matures. We go through that in our lives. And every time we approach the ring beyond which we cannot go, the egg, the nest, sorry, that's as far as I can fly. Well, I'm preparing to migrate. I'm going to Florida for the, I'm going south for the winter with the other migratory birds. Now the ring pass knot has expanded even even farther. But don't you see that as you approach the ring, there's tension. As you come upon the breakthrough, whether it's just before you break out of the egg or whether you risk your life leaving the nest, that could be going off to college, you know, or moving out of your parents' home for the first time, or finally getting a car that's reliable and you can actually drive long distances. There's tension that builds. There's a resistance to that change that that ring represents your resistance to change. And to comprehend that and to contemplate that, to be aware of the way the resistance is building will help you facilitate that change, that needed change, that necessary change, needed and necessary to what? To your growth, to your evolution, to your unfoldment. So the beauty of the ring pass knot is that it demonstrates whatever example or allegory you use, the way in which the point where change happens in our life is preceded by the greatest resistance. It's sort of a darkest before the dawn thing. Or um, my friend Marilyn Ferguson, who wrote The Aquarian Conspiracy, used to call it the 1159.50 phenomena, where it's the change you need, uh, the blessing, whatever, the grace that you need often does not arrive until the very last minute. And you sort of feel like the universe is toying with you. But uh, the, the other allegory that we find in mystical literature and theosophy in particular, I think Blavatsky coined the term, Madame Blavatsky, the dweller on the threshold, is a very similar idea that you come to a doorway or a passage in your life, some sort of transition, some quantum leap. It could be committing to a relationship and deciding, yeah, I think we really should get married. Or um, choosing uh, to get student loans so you can go to college and really tormenting yourself. I don't know if I want to take on this financial burden and is a university education really worth it? Do I need the information I'm getting? Or maybe if you're really bright, you realize college is not about the information you learn. It's about learning how to learn and how to think critically, how to use a library, how to avoid anecdotal evidence and look for repetition and validation and what's a high credible source and what's a low credible source and 
critical thinking patterns are more important than the information. But be that as it may, it's just another example of a major change. And so often we get right to the edge of the threshold. We open the doorway, we put one leg through the doorway, and then we stop. And here we are, the dweller on the threshold. We're at the edge of the ring. We're the bird that's cracking the egg, but I don't know what's out there. It's sort of scary. Maybe I should stay inside the egg. (laughs) No, I can't do that. I'm running out of food and water. Well, I cracked the egg. Now at least I'm getting the air. But I'm running out of food. I got to get out of this egg. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. So resistance to change, okay? If we don't roll with the change, it's going to cause problems. It's going to stress us, and uh, the problems get worse. And yet, if we try to roll with the change, uh, there are always the unanticipated consequences of it. And so sometimes we just, we prefer, let me say it this way. It seems we prefer the familiar to an improved situation that has changed in ways that we cannot anticipate. And so because anything new, whether it's much better or not, is stressful and frightening. Even if we know that it's going to be better because it couldn't possibly be worse than it is Our suffering is so familiar that we tend to hold on and resist change that holds the promise of improvement and growth. And the funny thing is that we describe that more often than not as being stuck. And in fact, we're not stuck, we're holding on. We're holding on to fear and suffering but telling ourselves the fear is holding us back. The fear is holding on to us. That we're stuck because we don't know the consequences of the change that we have to confront as the dweller on the threshold or as one who approaches the high tension of the ring pass knot and the breakthrough that needs to be made. Right. The fix for all of this is to see yourself as an agent for change. To see yourself, your awareness, and your consciousness as existing for the primary purpose of growing and evolving, becoming more and more aware, which is a change. It's an enhancement, it's an improvement, but it may bring with it consequences that we're not familiar with, and so it's scary. And I'd rather stay with the misery and the suffering that I'm familiar with than risk the chance of improvement because it's unknown and generates fear. And I'm going to hold on to that. What is fear? But it causes tension. Fear is a holding on response, not just physically, but holding on to thought patterns, holding on to heartache, holding on, holding on, holding on for dear life. And then claiming I'm stuck. Don't you see? So big breath. Let's do this together. A big breath. And as you exhale... Feel feel yourself letting go and say, this is what I do. This is who I am. I'm an agent for change. Trust. Trust. Trust yourself. Trust life. Suspicious? Trust and verify. (laughs) But still, you know, trust comes in varying degrees. Trust but verify. You must have questions or comments about this, and if you don't want to unmute, maybe you could just write a brief comment in the chat box and Melinda can read that 
if you want to expound on it, I'd love to have you uh, when when uh, we get to it. Unmute. You don't need to turn your camera on. But even if you just put a comment in the box or a question, well, what about this? Well, what do I do when I feel this way? How can I become a better change agent? How can I become more graceful and more elegant in not only anticipating change, but embracing change and knowing that while some of some some of the change in our lives will immediately appear to be beneficial and some of it will be confusing and hurtful and maybe it causes you to feel some regret that you shouldn't have made the change but flow with it learn from it whether it's good bad or otherwise you could choose not to judge it and accept it for what it is and just keep learning And what if the game is rigged? You know, I think in my experience, there are many times that life would touch me lightly to try to get my attention as if a feather's touch, but I just blew it off. But it was something that I needed, some growth, some change that I needed. And so life gave me a little shove, a a gentle little push. Again, again, I was was too busy. I had uh, a million things going on. I'm a very important person. (laughs) Sometimes I think I'm a very important person, right? And I'm in a hurry. And get out of my way. What are you doing on my highway? And uh, I've got to get where I'm going. I've got to do what needs to be done here. You don't seem to understand you're in my way. And So I missed the feathers touch. I missed the gentle shove. So life found a sharp stick. And it poked me with a stick and it hurt. And now I'm suffering the pain. It's added to my own self-imposed suffering, but I still don't know what to do because I'm afraid of change. I'm resistant to it. I'm the bird inside the egg or maybe in the nest, but afraid to fly. And so life finds a brick and hits me over the head with a brick and I go to my knees and I say, okay, you got my attention. But as we manage our stress, and our anxiety, as we take more and more responsibility for our lives, as our awareness expands and our consciousness raises, maybe we don't have to wait to be hit over the head by a brick to get the message. Maybe even before the sharp stick, we could feel the gentle push, the nudge of life saying, better, wake up, look over here and maybe even the feathers touch. And then you'd have the answer to why does life have to be so painful? Why does it have to be so difficult? Because we're not paying attention. What are we doing instead? Looking out here into the world at this kaleidoscopic house of mirrors made up of a reflection of my consciousness and the attitudes and beliefs and expectations of everyone else I encounter. What we call life is pretty much in agreement that it is the way it is, not the way it should be. We all agree it could be better life, right? (laughs) Why does it have to be like this? So that we learn to pay attention, that's all. And to do that, you have to close your eyes and turn within, you see, to the cause. As long as you're looking out through your eyes, you're looking at a world of effect. Where does the movie go? If you go to a, uh, I guess movie theaters is still making a, a comeback. They're doing their best to hold on and make a comeback. 
When you go to a movie theater, you pay 12 or 15 bucks for a movie and uh, 25 or $30 for a box of popcorn. <laughs> you want to forget that it's just light on the wall. You want to believe it's real. Well, okay, you're invested in it. I understand that. But where does it go when it's over? It doesn't go anywhere. It's still racked up in the projector in the back. Or if it's a digital movie, it's uh, on a computer that's hooked to a projector behind you. And what you've been engaged with is simply the reflection on the wall all this time. Where does the movie go? Where do you go when you die? Nowhere. You see? So why be intimidated and bullied? Why suffer these projections? Balance, at least. You have to live with your eyes open. You live in a physical world. Just, I'm suggesting, balance it with an insight and an awareness an ongoing, ever-expanding, ever-elevating perspective of the internal landscape, the source of what you see reflected in the world. Due to, due to a vision, I haven't driven a car in quite a while, 14 or 15 years. But I remember driving the freeway in L.A., and if I adopted the attitude... There's a little game I used to play, and it's quite remarkable the way this works. If I adopt the attitude of uh, the synchronized swimmer, and I pretend that everybody on the freeway around me is on the same page, that we've all been trained in synchronized driving, and we're all doing our best to coordinate and cooperate there will still be an occasional jerk that comes speeding up the inside or that passes you and recklessly and cuts in front of you. But I'm telling you, if you change your attitude, the experience of driving on that freeway will change enormously. It will seem as if most people got the memo and most people really are coordinating their efforts, doing their best to let you move and you let them in and, oh, they're going to exit, see their turn signal is on, so let them go, let them go, step on your brake, not the accelerator. It, it'll, it'll change enormously just by changing your attitude or your belief about it. Again, there'll always be an occasional jerk that's out to disprove the theory. You, you, you can see the same thing, by the way, if you change, we're talking about change today, your attitude of people. Um, what if there's someone that you just really don't like? Uh, they just push your buttons. They just yank your chain. They, they trigger you. They irritate the bejesus out of you, and you just have a hard time being around them. Play with that attitude of yours. Change it. Replace it. What if you just spend a moment or two thinking of, from a place of compassion about their suffering? And even if you don't know, just presume that there must be reasons why they're behaving the way they're behaving. And maybe you could understand them. Maybe you'll be limited in it, but just an attempt to empathize and have some compassion for their suffering will, will make it so much easier to tolerate them. And then they will change. If you treat people the way you wish they were, the way you wish they would be, they tend to change. <laughs> then, you have to, then you have to accept what well, was all in my head. I was contributing with my funky attitude to their behavior in ways that I'm now beginning to understand. And this whole idea of being a victim of life and resisting change, holding on for dear life. You know, the, the roller coaster allegory is a great one where 
some people, you know, they hold on for dear life. They're strapped in. The bar came down on the roller coaster. They're locked in. Roller coaster's been here 50 years. Nobody's ever died yet. But you're terrified and you hold on for dear life. You get off at the end, you're sick. But in front of you and behind you are people that are loving this. And their hands are up in the air and they're shouting whoopee and they're screaming and they're loving it. And at the end, they jump out and run around and get in line again because they just can't get enough of scare me to death. But it's the same roller coaster ride, don't you see? It's the same ride. Whether you call that anxiety excitement, oh boy, I'm going to get on the roller coaster, or whether you call it fear and say, no, 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 I don't want to change, no, don't make me change, no, please. It's the same roller coaster. You're going to ride it one way or the other. So we don't want to be reckless, but we also don't want to be paralyzed by our fears. Trust. Learn to trust. Trust life. Trust other people. Trust yourself. That's where it, well, that's where it begins. When, when private clients come to me and say, I have a problem trusting this other person. I say, often as not, to what extent is that a reflection of your uh, difficulty trusting yourself as a judge of character? Don't you see? And then, oh, I see, some big piece of my difficulty trusting Joe or Sally or Nancy or Bill is not trusting myself. So if I learn to trust myself more, then it'll be easier for me to be a really good judge of character about the extent to which I can trust others. And then life itself. What if the whole game is rigged? What if the whole game is rigged? And you get what you expect, and you go where you look, and you reap what you sow, and a little rain and disaster and hurtful consequence is part of everybody's life, but we can, gosh, I'm telling you the bulk of that is our own resistance, our digging in our heels, our refusal to change. That's what amps it up. And you can let go of all of that and roll with the change, be more wide-eyed, more awake and more aware and be the agent for change that you are. Not just change, but improvement, evolution. This is not random change we're talking about. It's growthful change. It's learning from the pain, learning from our mistakes, learning from, whoa, I could have handled, I could have handled that better. <laughs> and learning and getting better and more elegant and more graceful and dealing with the inevitability of change, growth, evolution, and improvement in your life. And yeah, it may be three steps forward and two steps back at times, but don't focus just on the two steps back. We're moving forward. We're getting smarter. We're getting better. <laughs>